Tell me if this sounds familiar to anyone. Uh, you're, you're in the fourth grade, fifth grade, third grade, whatever. You're at the store with your mom. Wait, did you say you remember that? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> you're, you're, uh, you're at the store with your mom and, like, your eye catches that toy that you're like, oh, man, I got to have that thing. And so uh, you run over to the toy section in the store. You grab that box. You come over. You throw it in the cart, and your mom looks at you. And you, like, proceed to put on a persuasive argument that would impress a court lawyer, right? And uh, you're telling them about how all your friends have this toy, and you got to have it, and you have to have it. And if you don't, you're, got, you're not going to be cool enough. And, uh, and she reminds you that she's not um, a lawyer, that she's actually the judge when she just looks at you in the eye and says, no, <laughs> right? And you're like, oh. So then you proceed. You proceed. You proceed to bring out the big guns, with all the waterworks, right, the crying, the, the ugliness, the sitting on the floor in the middle of the aisle, arms crossed, throwing a temper tantrum, I'm not moving, I'm going to embarrass you as much as I could possibly embarrass you. And, uh, yeah, that doesn't go real well, does it? And then she looks at you. She looks at you in the eyes and she says, you need an attitude Adjustment. <laughs> Who heard that growing up? You need an attitude adjustment. Or uh, you need a checkup from the neck up, right? Or, uh, you know, all of those things that we all heard, right? And, and then she says, you should be thankful because you have toys at home because there's a lot of people out there that don't have it as good as you, right? She's trying to give you that argument, and you're like, man, that's just not really working in this moment because my mind is, like, consumed with this really cool Razor scooter that I, I want. I still like scooters. They're, like, amazing. Um, that happened to me on a few occasions, <laughs> obviously. Um, but I've got an older brother and two younger sisters, and, uh, you know, multiply that by four. I have no idea how our parents survived all that. But sometimes I wonder if we ever even grew up. Sometimes I wonder if we ever even grew up. When I was a kid and my mom was like, you should think about those kids that don't have it as good as you. I never did that. I never stopped to say, man, maybe uh, this, I, I do have it pretty good. And the reality, if I'm honest, is that even though we didn't have a lot growing up in terms of money, I never went without. I never went without. We always had what we needed and, and always had, you know, actually had a really good childhood growing up and things like that. I know that's not everybody's situation, and, um, but at least for me, and I still kind of took it for granted. I, I still really um, never appreciated it. And I feel like we kind of do this a lot, right? We kind of do this even as adults. We, um, there's that thing that we need to have. There's that, um, you know, thing that maybe you had planned that you would achieve by now or maybe um, you applied to certain schools and you had an expectation that you were going to get into a school but it didn't happen and uh, maybe that's kind of frustrating. But just like my mind, even though I had toys, right, my mind was consumed with the idea of like I don't have this one. I don't have this toy. That's what I need. And that wrecked my whole attitude 
I still do that, right? I still think about that. Maybe I didn't get what I wanted, and or or, or maybe I want this car, or I want this thing, and and uh, my mind is consumed with what I don't have, even though maybe life really isn't that bad right now. A lot of times we, you know, talk about the hardships of life, and yes, there's a lot of hardships, but maybe there's a lot of folks here who are like, man, if I'm being honest, I'm not in a bad place. My life is actually kind of pretty good right now. I like where I'm at. And that can sometimes be equally dangerous because oftentimes our minds kind of gravitate toward those things. We're kind of, we're kind of um, letting off of the gas of like, you know, pushing and, and uh, our minds kind of gravitate toward those things that maybe we don't like about our lives. How could it be better how can I accomplish this thing? And I'm not saying those are bad things because those can, those can also look like goals, right? Um, but we need to know the difference. Why is it that our lives can be in a pretty good place and yet we find out, we find that our minds kind of drift and, and, uh, and gravitate toward, you know, what's wrong with my life? And, and uh, man, I wish I had this. Or, man, the last year's been really, really hard and, and it's just been really tough. So we're in this series called Winning the War in Your Mind. And I think it's such a relevant conversation for us to be having right now. It is a book, just so you guys know, it's a book written by Craig Groeschel. Um, if you want the name or whatever, I can give it to you. But I definitely, if you like kind of what we're talking about, definitely recommend checking out the book, picking it up. It's been a huge, um, it's been really convicting for me as, as we've gone through this. But it also has been really encouraging too because, um, man, I'm getting a lot out of this as well. Uh, but definitely check that out. But we are not defined by our mental health. And I also believe that this is something that God cares deeply about. We see all throughout Scripture, you know, God addressing the, the reality that he desires for us to think well about the things that matter most. So where are we at? The mind is a battlefield, and I believe most of life's battles are either won or they're lost in the mind. The mind is a battlefield, and I believe life's, most of life's battles are either won or lost in the mind. The other thing that we've kind of been talking about is that your life is always moving toward your strongest thoughts. Your life is always moving toward your strongest thoughts. What comes into your mind is often what comes out into your life. Now, this is not pop psychology, okay, um, or cultural psychology or anything like that. We are actually looking at the Word of God and we're seeing some of these things. It's been amazing to see how Paul was not a psychologist. He was not a neuroscientist. But, man, he had this stuff figured out. And I believe it was just his divine wisdom that God was giving him to, to write down the inspired word of God for us today in the 21st century to grow and to be able to grasp these concepts. And, and then science kind of caught up, and neuroscience is telling us a lot of this stuff. Paul's been tell, talking about this for, I mean, he hasn't been talking about it for 2,000 years, but he wrote it 2,000 years ago. It's like amazing. Um, so the mind is incredibly powerful, the mind, I think, I think one day science will catch up to say that, like, the mind is way more powerful than we ever imagined. I read a book called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself by Shad Helmstetter and actually said in there that up, uh, up to 80% of illnesses are self-induced. 
That's nuts. As much as 80% of illnesses are self-induced, what does that mean? That means your brain tricked yourself that you're sick, number one, right? But it didn't just stop there. It didn't just stop there. It actually, it actually impacted your physiology in such a way that it caused you to have symptoms. Like maybe it's a cold, right? This happens all the time. Um, you know, it's cold season, and you wake up that morning, and you kind of feel a scratch in your throat, and you're like, oh, I'm getting sick. I know it's coming. I know it's coming, and, and you're like expecting it, right? And uh, the next thing you know, you got that runny nose, and and, uh, and maybe you are really sick, but it's interesting that this guy said that up to 80% of illnesses are self-induced. I think the mind is so powerful. It impacts our physiology. It does all these things, and, and, um, and it's something that we have to, to think about. Um, we talked about how we think a negative thought. We talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we tend to go back to that negative thought over and over and over until it becomes what Paul calls a stronghold. This is, this is the, the theology side. Paul says that these, these lies, these negative thoughts, the enemy comes in and he, he uh, uh, impacts the way that we think. Maybe it's a, a lie about ourselves. And he comes in and we, he sets up the stronghold. It's this lie that, that is deep, right? And when you think a thought, it's easier to think, think that same thought again, okay? So that's kind of some of the context or where we've been, um, But tonight, we're kind of jumping into a different thing um, that our minds do and are equipped to do. I don't know that it's a bad thing. Actually, I think it's a really, really cool thing. Um, check out this video. Good evening, everyone. My name is Jessa Delo Crisp, and I am John's wife. It's super exciting for me to be able to join you again in Jessa's Cognitive Corner. A couple weeks ago, we looked at how when we have an exciting experience, a positive thought, the rush of dopamine that goes through our brains enables us to go ahead and constantly be looking for that high. We also went ahead and looked at positive and negative thoughts, how positive thoughts can go ahead and be utilized in our fight against negative thoughts. This week, we're looking at cognitive biases. With cognitive biases, these are basically errors in our thinking that enable us to constantly be seeing our point of view, our perspective in the things around us. For instance, a couple of years ago, I got a juke. And in that vehicle, when I got that vehicle and after that vehicle, all I could do and all that I could see were jukes everywhere. My brain has been conditioned to go ahead and see things around me that I want to see. Some other examples could be seeing your point of view as always right by always seeing that and only listening to news articles that pro propagate, prop I don't know. How do you say that? Propagate? Propagate. <laughs> propagate. Yes, that propagate that news in your life. But that being said, guys, always be sure to practice your proper gate, proper, proper Propagate. words, proper, proper cognitive words, words. practice proper, proper pronunciation, proper pronunciation. Oh, you got it. <laughs> oh yeah. So the next thing we're guys, <laughs> y'all, I'm a professional at this. This is awesome. 
So the next thing that we're looking at is reframing. Basically, how can I go ahead and take our cognitive biases, take the ways that we are thinking and reframe them to have a new perspective, to have a bigger perspective, to go ahead and expand what we see and how we see it. For instance, one of the things that I like to tell people is when you're in the car, and this even happened to me today, I was driving down the road, somebody cut me off, and in my mind, I started to think really nasty things about that person. That person wanted to go ahead and cut me off. That person meant to do that. But instead, what I like to encourage people to do is reframe. If I think of things that that person could be going through, that person who cut me off maybe was late to a really important meeting. That person who cut me off maybe didn't see me and it was all an accident. And so through the process of reframing, in this situation, through thinking other thoughts about that situation, enables me to see the less harmful situation. Guys, it's been such an honor to have you in my speech class tonight, and I look forward to joining you next week in Jessa's Cognitive Corner. Give it up. She's goofy and awesome at the same time. That's like skills, right? She's amazing. Um, yeah, so she studied, uh, Jessa, my wife, she studied clinical mental health at Denver Seminary, and I studied philosophy and biblical studies, so we have really interesting conversations. It's uh, owed to be a fly in our house uh, on the wall. Um, so what did she talk about? She talked about how um, we have, we all have these cognitive biases um, we have these filters. It's like a default filter through which we see all of life. And it's made up of all of our experiences. It's made up of our desires, our um, just our personality traits, like things like that. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Maybe you grew up in a family where you were forced to go to church every Sunday. And maybe in your family, uh, this whole thing called following Jesus was a lot more about rules than a relationship with Christ. Maybe right now, as you are, you know, um, in your 20s, maybe you're trying to figure out, like, how does, how does that relate to, um, you know, a relationship with Jesus and, and, and actually living a life of worship instead of just following rules, right? Um, and so maybe it's a real struggle. That background, those experiences are like that cognitive bias um, that, that makes you feel like, oh, well, Christianity is just all about following rules, so I don't really want anything to do with that. Um, that's a cognitive bias. Another one might be maybe you uh, were around somebody really influential when you were younger that just said a whole bunch of bad things about wealthy people. They're all greedy. They must have done something illegal to get their money. And, um, and as you uh, get out into the career world, you start to see some success. And maybe you feel like some shame or some guilt over the success that you have seen because you kind of have this cognitive bias, and and uh, ultimately, to to kind of provide a, a definition, it's it's kind of a fault in our thought process as we interpret the world around us. Our our cognitive biases cause us to kind of interpret it wrong, interpret it wrong. 
um, this is exactly how you have um, two people experience the exact same things, and they both have completely different responses to that event. Maybe at work, your boss brings two people in, and he gives them both the exact same feedback. He's, you know, says whatever, and maybe the first person says, "Man, you're a real jerk. You shouldn't. You you don't even know what you're talking about. And and how dare you talk to me uh, uh, about my own performance? You don't even know. You're not even here. You don't know my job." And, uh, and they just storm out. And maybe he gives the same exact feedback to somebody else. And they're like, you know, that's really good information. Thank you for sharing that with me. And, and I'll take that to heart. And, and, and maybe I can get better at my job and things like that. And that's how that happens. Because it's not that the facts were different. It's the filter. The facts are the same, but the filter's different. So these filters that we have, that you have, that we all have, influence how we see life. But what's interesting is that they don't just shape how we see life, they shape how we feel towards life also. Um, you know, our minds are kind of pre-wired to interpret things around us, and uh, sometimes it's a little bit off, and... Um, it's not the facts that are different, it's the filter. So uh, we do see this actually in Scripture. It's really cool. Uh, Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Moses sends a group of 12 people into the promise, the, the land that they believe was the promised land that God was giving them. And they were sent as spies to go look at the land and, and, and see the land and come back and give Moses a report. And we see all of them come back. And from two of the guys, they said, man, this land is amazing. Um, God is going to give us this land. Let's go get it. And 10 of the guys came back and they said, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. This land devours people. In fact, there are giants and we are grasshoppers to these giants. Let's not go. Let's not go. And I think that is a perfect example of how we see cognitive bias in scripture, it's like they just, they, 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 the facts are the same, but their filters were different. Their filters were different. Another synonym for this, this idea of a filter or cognitive bias is framework. How do we frame things? Uh, my personal therapist and I worked on this together for a long time. And uh, there's a really, really cool, simple tool that we can incorporate. This is what I want to encourage you guys to do this evening. Is uh, it's called reframing. It's called reframing. It's creating a different way to look at a situation by changing its meaning. Okay. So here's how this is going to work. We're going to put up a picture. Olivia is our awesome slides person. She's doing an amazing job in the back. Go Olivia. Um, so she's going to put up this picture, and here's here's the frame. Okay, so the frame is over here on the storm side, right? And, um, and we're going to see how to reframe over here to the blue skies. Um, so I wake up and, you know, I don't feel like I'm old, but sometimes when I wake up I feel like I'm old, right? So I feel those aches and those pains when I get out of bed. Maybe I overslept a little bit, and as I got up I remembered, oh, shoot, there's something I need 
to, to do for work before I, I even get into the office. So I'm having to like pause and, and get this taken care of. And so when I walk into the kitchen and I greet Jessa in the morning, I'm like already rushing and my mind is already engaged at work. And she senses that I'm a little bit disconnected. And she says to me, she says, hey, um, you seem like you're kind of distant this morning. And I immediately stop and I groan and I'm like, man, today is going to suck. Today is going to be hard. Today is, I've got so much stuff to do at work. Jess is already upset at me. I'm going to go to work and work with a bunch of jerks, and, and uh, it's just going to make it so hard. And, and you know, I'm going to get there. I'm not going to get enough done because of all these distractions. I'm going to come home. It's going to still be going. And today is just going to, and so my frame, here's my frame, right? Here's my framework. But maybe I can reframe this. Maybe I can look at it differently, right? This is the thing when you were, you know, in the fourth grade, third grade, whatever, that your mom wanted you to get. She wanted you to reframe this idea of the toy and look at it and think about it a little bit differently. So um, instead, maybe I can say I'm so thankful that I have a job to go to. I'm really glad that my God is with me and for me, and I'm glad that I have a lot to do because that means that my job is important to others, and today is going to be a good day. Come on, let's go. Let's get this done. I'm going to be productive and get a lot done. And so we can reframe it. That We can reframe it. This isn't about putting a Band-Aid on it, right? I mean, you guys have heard this stuff. I have, like, positive thoughts and everything. This stuff is really important. We can look at a situation that's going to be terrible uh, or, or, or we can interpret that it's going to be terrible. We can literally change our perspective on this thing. Now, um, I want to give you a little rhyme this evening because I want you to remember this. And uh, if you're in Garage High School, uh, I'm really sorry for reusing this, but a different perspective can be very effective. A different perspective can be very effective, and I believe it. Um, man, if we can get a different perspective on, like, you guys remember that? <laughs> no, okay, all right, well, maybe it doesn't work, all right. Um, but getting a different perspective on a situation, you know, sometimes it requires us going to a different place, right? You think about, um, the, my, like, if I have a problem and I'm looking up at it and I'm focusing on this problem, it could seem daunting, but if I can get a different perspective on this problem, maybe maybe it seems like I can make it through it, right? Um, and what I think Paul is sharing with us in the scripture we're going to look at in just a minute is that we can actually get, we can choose to have a different perspective. We can choose to change our perspective. He's actually, Paul is a master reframer. Paul is a master reframer. Um, it's clear throughout his letters that his dream, his goal was to go to Rome and preach the gospel to thousands of people and that that would be the most effective catalyst for spreading the gospel. That was his dream. He said it often. We see it in his letters. But instead, Paul made it to Rome, but he ended there as a prisoner, chained to a guard. Not what he expected, not what he intended to, to or not what he hoped that his life would, would uh, show. So we're going to look at Philippians 
um, chapter 1, 12 through 14. Normally, I'll have the verses on the screen. Tonight, I'm not going to have the verses because um, we'll have the picture doing this framing thing because I want you to kind of see how the framing transitions within what Paul says here. So we can see him actually reframing his own situation. So Philippians 1, 12 through 14, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or pull it up on your phone, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really sucks. In fact, it's the absolute worst, and all I can think about is how badly I've failed. As a result of all the hell that I've been through, I am done with this Jesus thing. In fact, I'm never coming back to young adults. Please don't call me to hang out. Yeah, that's not what he said. Paul did go through hell. Paul went through hell. He did end up in Rome. Paul did reframe his situation. And I think it's an awesome example. Let's take a look at it really quickly. He says, verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me looks, maybe it looks really bad. I never imagined that I would come to Rome as a prisoner, but here's the reframe is actually served to advance the gospel. The facts are the same. He's still chained up. He's still in Rome as a prisoner, but he sees opportunity. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else, even though it looks like I'm in a bad situation, even though I am chained to a guard, I am in chains for Christ. It's beautiful. What's happening? Paul, he's looking at this. He's like reframing it. And he is chained to this guard, this soldier. And he's thinking, man, I, I came to Rome to preach the gospel. I'm going to preach the gospel. Maybe I'm chained to one guy. That is a captive audience for eight hours straight. I'm going to preach the gospel to this guy. And then guess what? When, he, when the shift changes and he leaves and there's a new guy, I got a brand new captive audience that I can preach the gospel to. Verse 14. And because of my chains, again, it looks really bad. I know, I know it looks really bad. And he reframes it. He says, but most of the brothers and sisters become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. The facts didn't change, but he reframed it. He saw his position in prison chained up as an opportunity to continue to write letters, to be a pastor to distant churches all over the region. He wrote many letters while he was in prison at Rome. He continued to pastor the, 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 the people, the churches that he had started. He continued to pastor those churches via letters. He continued to preach the gospel. And we have those letters even today. We can choose to reframe. The facts are the same. It's the frame that's different. So a couple things. You know, it's like, okay, this is great, but man, how do we actually do this? How do we, how do we reframe things in our lives, right? How do we get that different perspective? I just want to give you a couple of points really quickly as we close. The band can come up. Number one is I think we need to get good at thanking God for what didn't happen. We need to get good at thanking God for what didn't happen. 
There's a story about a 20-year-old guy. He sat his parents down. He's like, I got some really bad news. Okay, I went to this party, and I just, I just drank way too much, and I, I hooked up with this girl. And next time I go to this party, maybe I'll figure out her name. I ended up driving home, and I got pulled over, and I was so scared. I swallowed all the pot in my pocket, and, uh, but I still got a DUI. And after like a $1,000 fine and a year in jail, I'll only have like 48 hours of community service to do. And he kind of like let that sit there a little bit. And he goes, no. Nah. I actually just got a D on my chemistry exam. I just wanted you guys to know that it could have been a whole lot worse. <laughs> Maybe we should thank God for like what didn't happen, right? That's a dumb example, right? But sometimes it can be a whole lot worse. Sometimes it can be a whole lot worse. And I think maybe if we're here and, and we're like, you know, I haven't really been connecting with a lot of this because I'm, I'm not really in a place where I feel like my life is um, struggling with something. Maybe we can pause and thank God for what didn't happen. Um, a couple years ago, my wife uh, called me. I was here in Denver. She was um, supposed to be on her way to Colorado Springs, and she called me, and it was like in the afternoon. And as soon as I picked up the phone, I knew something was wrong. And uh, she said that she had been in an accident. And I found out that, you know, with all the construction, that she came to a stop, a standstill, and she was like the last person in the line of that standstill and a F-150 plowed into the back of her car going 75 at the point of impact. She should not have walked away from that accident. Sometimes it's important for us to stop and thank God for what didn't happen. She's still dealing with medical stuff from that accident, but I thank God every day that, that he protected her COVID hit all of us. And this is why this message has been so convicting for me is because I have had a terrible attitude about COVID. I walk around, man, this is, this is the worst. This is, man, we're all suffering in this. And God said to me through this, he was saying, maybe I need to reframe. Maybe I need to reframe my attitude toward this. Maybe other things in my life. Maybe there's something in your life that God is telling you this evening that you need to reframe. Maybe we need to pause and take time to thank Him for what didn't happen. The next thing is practice pre-framing. Practice pre-framing. What this is, it's really simple. Instead of waiting until after the fact where I've got this bad attitude and, and I'm asking God to help me reframe it, it's just walking through the door, choosing before you even hit that situation that you're gonna have, you're gonna have a better frame. Maybe I talked about how like through this whole process, right? One of the, the big strongholds, the big lies that I've dealt with over the years was um, not feeling like I'm not enough, right? 
And as I, uh, God began to just move in my mind and, and I was praying that he would change the way that I think about this and that I could break free from this lie. Um, what began to happen is as I was walking to uh, meetings or maybe I walked into, uh, you know, when I was in Colorado Springs, I worked as a service manager and I led a team of people and, and that was a really tough situation. But I remember walking into work and took a deep breath and I remember thinking, God, thank you that you're with me today, giving me your strength and that with you here, it can be enough. That's pre-framing. It's just before you walk into that situation, like just deciding, deciding, I'm going to claim over this situation, over my life. Maybe you're, you're, you've got some reservations about going back to school and you're like, man, it's going to be crazy busy or it's a new season. I was talking with someone earlier uh, and they said they're going to be working full time and going to school and, and man, that's a lot. And maybe there's some stress around that and thinking about like, how am I going to make it all work? And maybe approaching that and thinking like, man, God, thank you for the opportunity of, of being able to go to school and have a job and, and all of these things and pre-framing, practicing. The last thing, last thing is let's look for God's goodness. Let's look for God's goodness. You're always gonna find what you're looking for, right? You're always gonna find what you're looking for. It's scriptural. Seek and you shall find. You're always going to find what you're looking for. And if we're looking for the negative, if we're always looking for the reason that life has gone off track, or if we're, if we're buried in what ifs and, and uh, regrets and maybe resentments toward people or, or grudges, and, and we're always just buried in that, we're going to find it. This has been a real conviction to me because I'm like the eternal optimist. I'm always looking for the good, but it's been a struggle. It's been a real struggle. And I realize that this is so true. If you're looking for the bad, that's exactly what you're gonna step right into. But if you're looking for God and his goodness, it's there. He's here. He's moving in our lives. Let's look for it. Let's look for it different perspective can be very effective. Father, thank you. Thank you for just your love. Thank you for challenging our thoughts. Thank you for renewing our minds and transforming the way that we think. This was a challenging topic personally for me, God, and I thank you for just the ways that we got to break out of our comfort zone. So each person here, God, I just pray over them that you would just renew their minds, that you would transform their thinking, that um, God, in these new seasons, that you would just be real and true. We just love you this evening. In Jesus' name.